Good morning again, everybody. Happy New Year. All right, we're starting a new series. The topic is discipleship, and it's going to last for about 12 weeks. And uh, give you a little history of the Great Adventure Church. Back near the beginning, we had a different format, and basically what it amounted to was the focus was on giving some information and then leaving time for some solid discussion. And we found that, uh, well, back in the day, we were kind of sitting around all day Sunday is what it amounted to. And so if we finished at 1 or 12.30, or it didn't matter as much. But now that we have a lot more schedules, we need to be more sensitive to that. So to help with that, we're not only structuring the Sunday mornings to fit the message and the uh, topics, but we're actually going to arrange for some discussion time, other times during the week. Um, probably, usually it would be Wednesday nights, other times it might be Sunday mornings, uh, but we'll, we'll look forward to really digging into this together and talking it through. And what we found in the past is that really, really helps to own it, to make it uh, real and impacting. takes it from 45 minutes one time a week, then never really hearing much more about that particular topic or message, takes it uh, more into kind of the discussion of what you're doing with each other, uh, more into the other, other meetings that we have through the week. So the goal is, is to make it more and more real. And that's really what we're after. One, because this topic is really, really important. Uh, we studied a few weeks ago, no, it's a couple months I guess now, about the Great Commission and Jesus saying that discipleship is what you need to be doing. You need to be making disciples. And we talked about how that included leading people to the Lord, but also teaching believers to observe all that Jesus had commanded. So we need to be serious about it because Christ is really serious about it. And uh, we think that this is something that can really improve. We think that this will help not only our individual walks, but it will help our working together as a church family because it will lead to us interacting more. It will lead to us ministering to each other more. So that's really what this is about. And again, we're going to take about 12 weeks to look at it. And we would really, really encourage you to dive in and buy in and uh, grab a hold whole heart to, to what we're saying and to pour over the Scriptures yourself to confirm it and to talk about it with each other. And we'll give you some more... Um, thoughts too on, on how you can take this from Sunday mornings and, and plug it into your lives. So we'll get into that. Uh, there was one other thing I was going to say that was important. I'll come back to it. So this morning we're going to start out and again, it's, it's not information that you've never heard. That's not the point. The point is, is that we need a refresher on it and we need to obey what Christ has said. We need to put it into practice. I know what I was going to say. We understand that schedules are crazy, so there's at least nine individuals down the hall right now for the next ten weeks that won't be hearing any of these. So we need to commit to you that we'll, we'll record these and we'll have them available for you. And if you're out of town or if you miss a Sunday, we really, really, really encourage you to... to what would they do, Aaron? How do you, how do you hear it? Cool. So you can go onto the website and you can play it right there. If you're 
work is conducive to it, listen to it while you're working, or um, I suppose if you're really savvy, you could burn it onto a CD and listen to it in the car. That's what I like to do. But uh, whatever it takes, let's, let's dig into this together and let's talk it through and let's see what God has for us on this. In light of that, we're wondering if um, one or two of the brothers could, could ask the Lord to really guide this unit of study and to guide this uh, time so that the Spirit works in a great way. So uh, if one of you, or actually if two of you would pray that right now, that'd be great. Amen. Thanks, men. Uh, in getting ready for this, there is a, some uh, good sermon outlines and good notes that we found on some resources on the internet. And if you want more details on that, you can talk to us about it and we'll give you those sites and all. But I was really excited because we've been thinking about this and talking about it for a, a long time. And as the thoughts were coming together, we were able to find these resources that really were on the same heart. And what I really, really like about the approach is again, this week, nothing, it's not earth-shattering new, but it's an introduction and its goal is to kind of get you reacclimated to this whole concept of discipleship. One of the comments that was made was that there's a lot of misconceptions about what true discipleship is. And uh, so we'll talk about some of those today, but there's a really neat uh, history of discipleship in the New Testament, and then I think there's some real practical distinctions between maybe how we understand discipleship or how others have understand it and what Christ really wants. And then there's some real in-our-face practical applications that if we're serious about obedience, we'll be able to put into play. And I'm spitting. Sorry, Anita. I'm getting, getting going up here. But, but we'll be able to put these things into play and see them change our lives. So again, the first concept we understand, but as a way of a subtitle, discipleship is for every one of us. Uh, one of the rare times that we're not only talking about believers. We're talking about every one of us need discipleship, whether that's uh, being shown the Savior for the first time, whether that's being introduced to Jesus and what He's done and making disciples in the sense of leading people to Christ, or it's those of us who know Christ, maybe for lots of years, and we need to be closer and closer and closer to Him. The bottom line, though, is every single uh person in this room, every single part of our church family needs discipleship. And so it's an active sport, so to speak. It's not a passive sit back and uh, ponder kind of, of, of issue. In that, a couple of overview points. If you remember, the uh, actual words for discipleship in the Bible really focus on, as far as meaning, on a follower or a learner. A follower or a learner. So when we're talking discipleship, we're talking about following and learning. Uh, but the key, the key is that our discipleship is not following or learning to become another person. It's not picking a great mentor and aspiring to become that person. It's really uh, about following Christ, being a disciple of Christ. And this was good for me because I... You know, through the years, I've had a lot of godly men that have made an impact on my life. But even in that, there's been a danger where I focus maybe even too much on the person that I'm working with instead of on the Savior who we're supposed to be following and becoming more like. That doesn't diminish in any way 
the relationships that we have with each other. But I think it's a good perspective to start out with is be a follower of Christ. Be a learner from Christ. And that's really what He wants us to, to have. Um, there's a couple of verses. Look at John 8 with me. John chapter 8, verse 30 and 31. This was neat because there's not a select few of, of individuals who are disciples of Christ. In the Bible, we study about 12 men who were named disciples and they had a special relationship with Christ. But even though Jesus had those 12 men, He still referred to any follower, any believer in Jesus Christ as His disciple. And that's cool because that means that we don't have to be an elite. We don't have to be this uh, special prodigy or this special person with X amount of potential. Every one of us who knows Christ is a disciple of Jesus Christ. And John 8, verse 30 and 31 uh, kind of illustrates this. It says, Even as, as He spoke, many put their faith in Him. To the Jews who had believed Him, Jesus said, If you hold to My teaching, you are really My disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So those of us who truly follow Christ are disciples. And that's cool. We'll talk more about what that means. But this is not an elite uh, position that we have to aspire to get to. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I found that exciting. Acts 6, verse 1, and if you want to look at that another time, basically Jesus, or basically the followers of Jesus called any believer in Christ the disciples. There were a bunch of disciples. One day there were 3,000 disciples added. Uh, because 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus Christ on the day of Pentecost. So, disciple is a key term that's not reserved for a certain elite group. This was cool. Jesus put a huge priority on discipleship. The uh, one author I was reading said, think about what Jesus was called to do on earth. And he whittled it down to two things. One, we know that his main mission was what? God's will for him and that ended up being the cross and it ended up being building the kingdom through his eternal sacrifice for our sins. And so we know that everything pointed to that. But there was another focus that he had and there were some other contrasting things. He, he didn't build a, a huge uh, organization. He didn't uh, put all of his effort into uh, revitalizing uh, this or that. He put his effort into discipleship. That he was focused on the cross, but while he was doing that, some of the first things he did in his public ministry were to do what? Were to go and call disciples. Call disciples. And so Christ makes a huge priority of discipleship. And I think that's cool because if Christ made discipleship such a big thing when He was here on earth and even His parting words with the Great Commission, His parting words were about discipleship, we should take the hint, not so subtle hint, that it's huge, that it's vitally important. Um, every decision we make in life should focus on our discipleship, our following of Jesus Christ, where we work, where we live, what we do with our time, recreation, all of these things. If we're true to what Christ wants, following Him, learning from Him is going to be at the peak of what we do. Because in addition to pursuing the cross, discipleship was very, very important. 
So there's a little overview for us. Discipleship just means to follow or learn. And again, we want to make sure that our focus is following Christ. Now we're going to do that as a team, but it's Christ is the center of that. Each believer is a disciple. And discipleship is of huge importance. It was huge to Christ. It needs to be big for us. So let's talk about a little bit of a history of discipleship as far as the New Testament goes. And this I found really helpful. Uh, One, discipleship was not a new concept when Christ came on the scene. I don't know the year. um, Well, I guess it would be, what? How's that work, Theron? It would be... B.C. 33 or... Yeah, as a teacher, B.C. 26 A.D., okay. 26 A.D. Wasn't a new thing. Uh, John the Baptist had disciples. Look at John 1 quickly. John 1, to be reminded of this. Verse 35 and 37. By the way, as a side note, and it's a key principle to discipleship, you flipping through and finding these verses is really important because it was already said this morning by Aaron, I thought, well put, that any authority of what we say has to come from the Word of God. So uh, the reason we put these references, the reason we we look at these verses is to to give credibility to what we're saying. And uh, it backs up what we're saying. It may be a small detail, maybe a big detail at the time, but all of it is important. Verse 35 says, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. So John the Baptist uh, had disciples that were working with him. The Pharisees had disciples. That's kind of a weird concept. The Pharisees had bought into discipleship in a big way. And Matthew 22, Matthew 22 shows us this. Verse 16. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in Jesus in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. They sent their disciples out to do the dirty work. These were followers of the Pharisees. These were specific uh, individuals who were in um, somewhat of a formal relationship with the Pharisees where they were learners. In Star Wars terminology, they would be, uh, what, the, the Padawan learner of a Jedi kind of thing. This was the same structure. Uh, the older, the high position of religious order were teaching the younger uh, and raising them up to be the new leaders. So the Pharisees had bought into this. Discipleship was common. Discipleship was common. It was not a new thing when Christ came on the scene and said, I'm going to have disciples. But, but, the way he went about it is very different. And this is huge, not just for history's sake, because when you think, how am I supposed to be a follower of Christ, these differences are key. And what I was so excited about was that these differences, I I should say uh, excited because I did not jump up and down, but the thing that was cool to me was that these things uh, really teach a lot about following Christ. So as we dig into them, 
Uh, follow me on this. Look at Christ's distinct approach. First of all, and again, I didn't write these. These were really helpful uh, in some resources that I was looking at. But one point that was made was that Jesus called his disciples. This was weird during the time. During the history of the time, if you wanted to be a disciple of a rabbi, of a religious leader, you had to go ask that rabbi to become a follower of his. You had to pursue that and, and uh, initiate that. And guess what? It wasn't a done deal. Not everyone that, was, that uh, asked a rabbi automatically got the privilege of being a follower. It depended on what the rabbi thought and the potential of the individual and whether they were worth his time and all these kind of things. Cool distinction here. You don't have to pursue after Christ. Christ pursues after His disciples. And in John 15, uh, you know it well, Jesus went to at least 12 different individuals and at different times said, follow me. This was big during the time. This was different. But it reminds us and pictures, I think, what Riley was sharing this morning in the breaking of bread from Ephesians. How did you become a follower of Christ? Well, Ephesians 1 explains it pretty clearly how you became a follower of Christ. It wasn't your idea, to put it bluntly. It wasn't something that you tracked Jesus down and asked Him to be His disciple. But in a contrast, Ephesians 1, 4-6 says, For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to, adopt, to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given us in the one He loves. Isn't that cool? You were hand-chosen by Jesus Christ, by God Himself, to be a follower and a disciple of the Savior. This was something that He wanted you. We don't know why. We know that it's not because of anything great in us, isn't it? But Jesus Christ wanted you for His disciple. When? Was it a spur-of-the-moment decision? Tim, when did He make that choice? What does verse 4 say about that? Oh, I'm sorry. I'll give you a minute. You're not getting off the hook that easily, though. Look at that for yourself. Verse 4. Was this a decision that Christ made when He got to earth? Was it uh, after He ascended to heaven? Way back before the earth was even formed. Thank you, Tim. Before the earth was even formed, He chose you. He had you in mind. That's pretty cool. And your discipleship, your following of Christ, was different from that time where you had to hope to be good enough and you had to figure out who to ask and initiate. No, Christ has initiated with you a relationship to be a follower of His. I thought that was pretty neat. Number two, the relationship between Jesus and His followers was more personal than pedagogical. I have no idea what that meant until I read the note. So I put the note on here. What does the note say? The pupil and the rab Talmud bound themselves personally to their master and looked for objective teaching with the aim of themselves becoming a master or a rabbi. What are we saying here? Back in the day, mainly discipleship was a, a student, a pupil, seeking out a rabbi so that they could be bound for a time, learn everything they could from that rabbi, 
and then leave them. Go off and then become a rabbi themselves. Uh, Jesus' call to discipleship doesn't mean that a disciple is put in a learning relationship from which he can depart as a master. Following Jesus as a disciple means the unconditional sacrifice of his whole life, for the whole of his life. To be a disciple means to be bound to Jesus and to do God's will. This is cool. What do we mean by this pedagogical and all this stuff? Basically, that your relationship with Christ is personal. It's intimate. It's a long-term, permanent relationship. In the rabbis and the pupils, it was how long do you need to stick together so that you could learn what you need and then climb the ladder, so to speak, to become the person of status, to become the new rabbi. And then you were done with the other rabbi. Maybe you interacted some, but you're pretty much done. Not the case with us. Not the case with us. John 15.15 15 is a great verse uh, for this. That your relationship with Christ is not optional. It's not something that you initiate or you decide on. But, and it's permanent. It's permanent. Jesus Himself says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. There's an intimacy, my friends. There's a, a very special bond here that Jesus wants to have with you. And He wants that bond to be deeper and deeper and deeper. Very different from the time. Next point. The path of the disciple of Christ was really, really different from the path uh, in contemporary Judaism. Okay? So that rabbi and that pupil that we were talking about, the, the end result is totally different. This was a wake-up call to me. The pupil wanted to become a rabbi, and we know that during the time, that involved a pretty good status, didn't it? We know that the Pharisees were, were placed on a very high pinnacle, at least by themselves, if not by all the people. And they had fancy robes and they had fancy uh, uh, offices, so to speak, the t you know, the temple, and they had fancy way of doing things. And that was a big goal. If you were going to become a rabbi, there was some status and position with that. You talk about climbing the ladder. Well, corporately, maybe we aim really high. CEOs, CFOs. That's kind of what the, the Pharisees were religiously. You were climbing this ladder if you were a disciple. Not the case as a disciple of Christ. The difference, seeker of status versus servanthood. And one of the best verses in the Bible, in my opinion, for showing what Christ's heart and focus is, is that Mark 10. You probably, many of you know it by heart, but flip there anyway, and let's look at that together. Mark 10:45. If you don't have this verse memorized, I'd really encourage you to memorize it. Because if there's any doubt about what our point or purpose or calling is as a disciple, this verse sums it up. Verse 45 reminds us that for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. Discipleship back in the day was about status. If you were a good disciple, you grew in status so that you had more respect, more authority. A good disciple of Jesus 
grows in servanthood. A true follower of Christ becomes lower and lower and lower in status because that individual seeks to be more and more and more of a servant. What's another passage of Scripture uh, that, that screams of Jesus' servanthood to us? John 13, right? When Jesus Himself took the place of the, one of the most lowly house servants and washed the grease and grime off the disciples' feet between their toes. If you haven't seen a picture of servanthood, that's one for us right there. Jesus did not call disciples to move up on the ladder. He called disciples to take a lower and lower and lower position of servants. Really, really big difference. But I think a huge wake-up call to us. What are we in this for? You know, why are we following Christ? Are we getting caught up in that trap of, of um, the world and saying we've got to progress, we've got to get higher, we've got to have more status, we have to have more respect? Or are we looking to be more and more and more of a servant? I've got to tell you, that's not high. It hasn't been always high on my priority list. That's hard to think about. Let me become lower and lower and lower. Not a fun concept, but a follower of Christ. And later we'll see the good news of that, that there's going to be a day that as you are more and more and more of a servant, now there's even more uh, reward and blessing uh, waiting for you, not just now in life, but in, through eternity. So, Christ was different. He didn't call for status. He called for servanthood. Finally, number four. This was huge too. Christ's discipleship was not and is not a burden. It's a blessing. Look at Matthew 23, verse 4. This was interesting. The discipleship of the Pharisees, the discipleship that the Pharisees did is, is explained here as far as what its uh, effect had on people. Even though it would appear that they were moving to a higher status, uh, 23, verse 4, I think, is an interesting perspective. We'll start in verse 3. Uh, 2, verse 2. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. The Pharisees were all about laying on burdens. Discipleship with a Pharisee or a rabbi meant get ready for heavier and heavier burdens. Why? Because they were called to keep certain laws and restrictions. There were tons of them. Tons of rules and restrictions. And they had to stick to them. If you were going to be a better and better follower, that meant you were more and more bound by a legalistic code. Man's rules that you had to, to fit perfectly if you were going to be a, a true disciple. Burdens. Lay on the burdens was the theme of the Pharisees. And the hypocrisy was pretty ugly too of this verse, wasn't it? They laid on the burdens, but they didn't follow them. They had their own way of living. That wasn't burdensome. Not very nice people to follow. But look at Christ's discipleship. Look at the plan of discipleship that Christ has for you in Matthew 11. And look at the difference. Again, very familiar verses but huge as far as importance in this topic. Matthew 
chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus said, Come to Me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For My yoke is easy and My burden is light. My understanding of that whole yoke thing... um, when I was real young, I was thinking eggs. When I was a little older, I was thinking oxen and the yoke. And that's, that may be somewhat tied in the picture. But my understanding is that as a rabbi's yoke was sort of his um, game plan, his uh, worldview, his, um, his uh, policy, so to speak. And a rabbi's yoke was the code of regulations or the philosophy of approach that that rabbi held. So if you were going to take a rabbi's yoke upon you, you were going to learn their game plan. You were going to learn, you were going to play by their rules. And we already heard that most of those rules were burdensome, weren't they? Jesus here is saying, take my approach upon you. Take my, buy into my game plan and follow me. And my game plan is not burdensome. My game plan is going to set you free. My game plan is not going to add stress. It's going to relieve stress. My plan is not going to beat you down with burdens. It's going to remove potentially every burden that you have. Does that difference sound good to you? It sure did to me. Because I, like I know some of you, are, are carrying burdens this morning. And as we become better disciples of Christ, that means that we'll have fewer and fewer of those burdens to bear. Not because they don't exist, but because Christ wants to bear those for you. It's a tough concept because Christianity is not rosy. Remember those early disciples? A lot of them were killed in gruesome ways. doesn't sound like a rosy, burdensome-less road. But the reality is is that as we depend on Christ, as He renews our mind and our focus, we can rely on Him and we can have a peace and a rest. Take a deep breath. Think of peace and think of rest. That's what Christ wants for you. Think of all the stresses and cares and Christ says you don't need them. They don't have to weigh on your mind. He wants to bear those for you. So followers of Christ, discipleship can be a huge blessing. A huge blessing because it removes burdens, doesn't pile more burdens on. That sounds good to me. That's exciting. So to summarize uh, these distinct approaches, which I had them all together, but let me summarize them. One, Jesus has chosen you to be His disciple. Two, Jesus wants a personal relationship for the long haul with you to become deeper and deeper and more and more intimate and more and more rewarding and more of a blessing. Three, uh, Christ wants you to be a servant. He wants you to be lower and lower and lower as far as your servanthood. Sounds bad, except that, even that, He doesn't want to be a burden. He wants the dependence and the relief to be found in Him. And He wants to carry the heavy load. When you follow His game plan, 
it's a, a light load. It's a burdenless path. And the more we follow it, the fewer burdens. Now this is weird because the flesh is going to fight, the world, the flesh, and the devil for that matter, are going to fight you becoming a closer and closer disciple. So it's going to seem like harder and harder work in some ways because there's going to be more and more opposition. But as we deepen in our following of Christ, there's going to be more and more and more rest. He's not here so he can't beat me down later for using him as an example. But Jason Francis, my friend, shares this a ton. He says, I just have so much more peace now that I'm saved. I have so much more rest. The things that wore on me just don't wear on me anymore. Isn't that cool? And that's a fresh, new, zealous believer uh, who's experiencing that freshness. We can experience that too. And we need to experience that more and more every day. So, big difference in Christ's approach for discipleship. Now, summary. A few key words. And uh, I use, I say in the words of Hollywood, not because uh, it's their idea, but just for a little bit of lightness, uh, we've got three movie quotes that really sum up a huge amount of teaching that we're understanding. So I hope that you can remember them if I put them into movie quotes, because like, I do, anyway. So A, death first. Anyone know that movie? Was that? Princess Bride, that's right, that's right. To the pain and all that. Death first. So uh, what do we mean by that? Discipleship kind of goes along with point three, what Christ wanted. But look at Luke 9. Look at Luke 9. And as we talk about the um, benefits of discipleship and easy burdens, we can't lose sight of the real meaning of what discipleship carries. Luke 9, verse 23, Then Jesus said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? Death carries, follows discipleship of Christ. It is not about you. It is not about me. If we're going to be true followers of Christ, we have to understand that death to self is vital. Pick up the cross means death. That means that this life that you carry through each day is not your own. You've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God, as Corinthians, I think it's Corinthians, as the scripture says. Death first. Don't forget that we are dead to self, but alive to God. I thought that was a huge point that I need to be reminded of. I probably need to repeat that to myself ten times in the mirror each morning. It's not about you. You're dead. You're an you're a instrument. You're a tool. It's all about what Christ wants to do with His life that you walk the steps of. And if we can keep that perspective, I think we'll see major change. So A, death first. Two, share the load. Thank you, Ethan. <laughs> Which one was that? Samwise in... Thank you. Share the load. Christ called this. But those with burdens this morning, don't forget that Matthew 11. 
He wants your burdens. Part of being dead to self is it's not your worry. It's not your life, therefore it's not your worry. It's Christ's concern. And as the God of the universe, He's not going to let His life through you go down the drain. may not look the way I want it to all the time. It may mean that my business fails and doesn't prosper, if that's what He wants. It may mean that um, I'll be lonely as far as human relationships. But the bottom line is He is not going to let you go down the tubes. He is not going to leave you uh, for dead. It's His life, not yours. And He is passionate about your joy and your fulfillment and your blessing and your burden-free walk. So, death first is kind of a stinging concept, but balanced with no burdens. Because it's not about me. Therefore, the burdens aren't mine to bear. They're Christ's to bear. And D, what movie is that, Christy? A, 2, and D, we live on the most boring street. Christy loves Home Alone, so that was for her. But three is walk this way. This is a tough one. We need JP for this. It's a butler. That might be there too. Private Eyes. Anyone seen Private Eyes? Yeah, the butler says, walk this way. So Don Knotts walks this way. But what does that mean? What does it mean? Philippians 2. And this is the good news of of what I was talking about earlier. Turn there with me. The point of this one is don't forget the model. Don't lose sight of Christ, the one you're following, the one you're supposed to be just like. And he says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look out not only for your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Don't forget who we're following. We're dead to self. He wants our burdens, but He is the model and that's of servanthood and humility, putting others first. And if we keep that in mind, if we keep walking the way He walked, then discipleship is going to be even more meaningful and fruitful. As a side note, uh, a couple of my great friends and I are studying John 15. And it's saying over and over, Jesus says, Abide in Me. Abide in Me. Without Me you can't do anything. Stay close to Christ. There's a verse there that I just love. He says, uh, That your joy may be full. 
that your joy may be full. And again, the peace and the excitement and the uh, blessing of following Christ is going to be so wonderful the deeper and deeper and more and more faithful that, that we follow Him. So exciting things, if you ask me. If we're talking about discipleship of Christ, it's a, a wonderful trail that each of us is on that we need to follow wholeheartedly. So, some teaching today. Um, the distinction, the history, the distinctions of discipleship. And then three summaries that take with you. Uh, death first. Share the load and walk this way. And if we do that, then discipleship is going to be on the right track. It's going to be discipleship Christ's way. Now, having said that, how do we go about this as a church family? Well, we have some things to ask of you. And this is in some ways where the rubber meets the road. One, we've already asked you to take these thoughts uh, and really chew on them. Think on them. Talk about them with each other. And you're going to have an opportunity uh, and soon you'll have a, a list of discussion questions for each, each lesson. You're going to have an opportunity to discuss those uh, as a big group and as small groups and as all kinds of groups. So we really need you to buy into that. But two, we believe that each one of us needs to be actively teaming to pursue discipleship of Christ. When Christ laid out His purpose, He said, make disciples, make followers of Christ and teach them to observe. There was a, a definite message of meeting with each other and together pushing one another or leading one another closer to the Savior. We need this to happen throughout our entire church. So what we're asking is that each one of us be directly involved in discipling one another. Now let's break this down. We've got about five, ten minutes to break this down. This is rare. Anita, are you proud of me? Thanks. Usually it's ten after. But let's break this down. What does it look like? Well, here's how we'd encourage you to start. One, look at an opportunity to meet with someone else in the church family. You can meet with others outside the church family too, but at least one person in the church family. We'd encourage uh, men to meet with other men and women to with other, meet with other women. Of course, in addition to the discipleship you're doing in your marriages and your relationships with each other. But we'd encourage you to meet with at least men, one other man in the local church, and disciple each other. Don't view it as a hierarchy. You're not going to be a follower of, of Tim. Uh, you're going to be a followers of Christ together. Okay? You're going to learn from each other. You're going to bless each other. Are you at different points in your maturity? Absolutely. But you will learn from each other and you can teach each other. So we would ask you to pick one other individual in the church or more, but at least one and initiate a time each week to get together and encourage each other spiritually. Whether you talk through the discussion questions that we're going to give you, whether you talk about other passages of Scripture, whether you pray together, whether you memorize Scripture together, that's up to you guys. But we each need to be meeting with someone else from the local church. And we're convinced that if we can set up this pattern of discipling each other, suddenly the, the church family will become more and more strong and your life will become more and more rich. So we would ask you to think about that. 
Ideally, even if you could think uh, within the next few days, it'd be great if you could initiate this and, and have this kind of in place by next Sunday. That would be great. If not, um, have a real great idea of who you'd like to talk to about uh, working as a discipleship team. But you know what we're saying on that? Meet with somebody else once a week, over lunch, over breakfast, over neither, half hour, an hour, whatever you decide, and really just start to invest in each other's lives. And I think we'll see some really cool results. You don't have to do just one. I have a blessing of meeting with, with uh, like I said, several friends, and it's great. Don't limit yourself, but at least one, and I think we'll see some real solid growth. So, lots more to come, lots more uh, discussion, lots more, hopefully, insight, and lots more uh, following Christ as a church family. So, in record time, let's close with eight minutes to spare. I emphasize that for you, Anita, so she can stop harassing me. Father, thank you so much that Christ wants us as followers, that we are disciples of the living God, Lord, that, that He loves us personally, that He wants a deep relationship with us, that He's not looking for uh, a cold, heartless uh, production of talent for Him, but He's looking for a deep, close relationship. Lord, give us the same kind of heart, please. Give us a heart to follow after You, to follow hard after You, to want to be like Christ more and more, to understand that we are dead to ourselves, to understand um, that, that, that Christ wants to bear our load, to understand that we need to look just like the Savior. And then, Lord, we've got another big task. We believe that You want us to be meeting with each other. We believe that You want us to be working as teams to grow closer to Christ. And that's a big job. That means us changing our schedules. It means us changing our, our uh, maybe even our circle of, of acquaintances, Lord. It's big. And so we ask your help in it. We ask that you give each one of us wisdom about who you'd have uh, for us to team with on this. Lord, we ask that you would deepen relationships in our church family. We ask that you would uh, help us to share burdens with each other, to to get better at treating each other as family as opposed to uh, acquaintances. Lord, there's huge opportunity here and we're excited about it. So guide our hearts, make us obedient, uh, lead us, uh, and, and draw us closer to the Savior. Thank you so much for, again, Him choosing us and loving us and wanting to be close to us. And we're thrilled about that. In Jesus' name, Amen.